episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny California and Silver Lake and Malibu. Aloe was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a facility that treats addicts with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness, and they make sure that if you are detoxing, your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical. I've had friends go to Aloe, and they can't stop talking about it. They even consider relapsing to go back. I'm just kidding. They also have amenities, including sound bath meditation, fucking the incredibly spiritual sweat lodge, surfing, and equine therapy. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get treatment, I strongly recommend going to Aloe. Attention cigarette smokers. There is a less harmful alternative available to you. According to two studies published by Public Health England and the U.S. National Academies of Sciences and Engineering, they found that vaping poses a small fraction of the risks of smoking, and switching to vapes may have substantial benefits over cigarettes. This is why so many cigarette smokers have made the switch to vaping, and their brand of choice is Twist E-Liquids. Twist is an American-owned company that makes its delicious e-liquids in Los Angeles, California. Twist has won several awards for creating mouth-watering flavors such as its best-selling lemonade, sweet treats, and dessert flavors. But Twist also produces a line of sweet tobacco flavors. Try Twist e-liquids today and get not 30%, not 40%, but 50% off your first purchase with code D-O-P-E-Y 30. That is Dopey 30. We're talking about fucking half price off vapes. 
So if you buy vapes, go to Twist E-Liquids, use the Dopey 30 code, and save half off. That is at daddysvapor.com. That's Dopey 30 to save 50% on daddysvapor.com. Try Twist today and make the switch. All right, new ad, everybody. This one is brought to you by our friends at Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help you with taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you might have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolutionaccounting.com to receive special discounts. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Grid, which is the largest mobile sober community and is a free, easy-to-access resource for tracking and sharing progress with others, giving and receiving support, and now they have 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week peer counseling. If you like social media and you like recovery, Sober Grid is your spot. 100% free. SoberGrid.com with daily check-ins, the burning desire button, public and private options. See who's around you. Have friends all over the world fighting the good fight. Be of service to them. Let them be of service to you at SoberGrid.com, the most amazing resource for recovery in the market for free. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you through the power of Dopey Patreon. Last week, we had a really special Dopey Patreon episode with filmmaker A.J. Eaton, who made this amazing documentary about David Crosby. I highly suggest checking it out. I highly suggest uh, joining Patreon. Help with the show. The more patrons, the closer we get to more Dopeys, which is very possible. Also, if you want Dopey gear, just go to DopeyPodcast.com. We partnered up with this amazing company out of Cincinnati, Ohio, called SRO Prints. They're a bunch of junkies like me and like some of you, and they make amazing stuff. I just got the new Dopey hoodie with the skull on the side. It's my new favorite. I highly suggest going there. I still have Oyve snapbacks. I have Dopey snapbacks. If you are a Patreon member who has given money and hasn't gotten your shit, please write me. I will get you your shit. Um, you know, I still have stickers. But enough with the ads. Here is the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And on Zoom and simultaneously on speakerphone is the great Stephen, don't call me Ray, Brown. 
What? I mean, Ray, don't call me Stephen Brown. Stephen Brown got an offer today of a uh, a loan for fifty thousand dollars. And what? Did, and how did Stephen respond to said loan? I cut it up and put it in the garbage can. Interesting. What could you do with your alias if you wanted to? Could you do anything with it? I don't know. I mean, I was going to change my name legally, but I was afraid it would fuck up my social security. If you if you change your name legally, it would fuck up your social security. That's- yeah, I was like, yeah, I I need that money. <laughs> I need that to come to me and go into my bank account. Because Ray Brown doesn't have social security coming to him. No, Ray Brown is a disgusting lowlife who's never <laughs> worked a day in his life. Ray Brown showers with his clothes on and occasionally <laughs> might eat a pubic hair. But Stephen Brown is a hardworking member of society. Fine, upstanding, taxpaying citizen. Ray Brown 69's in the butt on Viagra, but Stephen <laughs> Brown fucks missionary. Ray, Ray Brown gets up and goes to work. <laughs> I, I didn't hear what you just said. That's okay. It's 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 good. It's better that you missed it. Um, okay. Happy New Year, Ray Brown. Wait, I need I need we need to re-record this entire show. Why? That was good. <laughs> that was really good. Why? Happy New Year. How was New Year's? Uneventful. I wanted to go to Times Square, but it's that it was blocked off. We watched New Year's. Uh, me, Linda, and Nora watched New Year's, and it's like fucking hell. New Year's is like these shows are like fucking hell. If they did a dopey New Year's show, that would be oh. pretty sweet, right? <laughs> that would be so great. I said my nephew sent me some pictures of Times Square empty with like Anderson Cooper, and I said I wish it would have like hail like had a hailstorm and just like destroyed it during the show. It was Anderson. Co- I mean, like they had like six different broadcasts, but if you looked in Times Square. All you had were like these people in these little pods wearing these boxes, wearing Planet Fitness gear. Planet <laughs> Fitness, like jail, is <laughs> like crazy. It's like it's it's next level fucking hell. That shit is like fuck. And I and I at, at like I don't know at nine fifty or no, I, I think at eleven fifty I was asleep on the couch. At eleven I was begging to go upstairs, and Nora and Linda like you know, protested and made me stay. I, that was probably the first New Year's I've rung in in years. Oh, you don't stay up till midnight? Oh. I'm an early to I was, bed type. I was asleep at 10 o'clock. I was asleep at maybe 9 o'clock. I have to tell you, Ray, and I have to tell the Dopey Nation that my recovery is kind of like on life support right now. I, I've heard about it. I haven't been to a meeting in 10 days, okay? I fucking I've been I, my my prayer routine is out of whack. My, oh no! My exercise routine is a little bit out of whack. And you want to hear the worst thing? What? The other night, I woke up at two in the morning. Okay, and yeah. I, and I couldn't go back to sleep. So you know you what? Drink Nyquil. I went to the store and bought Nyquil, and I oh shit! And I drank it in the car. Okay, you're a filthy junkie now. <laughs> you're a, you're a nightcat. That was Wednesday. Wednesday I took, but I, I took I didn't take the full dose. I took a half a dose of Nyquil, and I slept. And I haven't had any more Nyquil since. But I haven't been to a meeting since either. Did you go to that Seven Eleven we went to? Yes. 
they they think you are like the stoner of stoners. He's like, I do not like sweet food. <laughs> Did we tell that story on the show? That's my like. They're like he's chugging that bottle of Nyquil in the parking lot. <laughs> no, but if I if I told the story before, I'm going to tell it again. Me and Ray go to Seven Eleven to pick out ice cream, and we picked out two flavors. And I bring it to the clerk, and I said, "Do you like peanut butter cup or fucking? I don't remember what the other one was. Maybe it was fish food." And he said, but- "What?" Like he is a um, what is the wine guy? Like you presented it like like he's the ice cream aficionado. Like he knows, yeah. <laughs> dude. If I worked at Seven Eleven when I wasn't ringing people out, I would be like taste testing every flavor, making copious notes. Ooh, the peanut butter is a little note of too much sweetness in the ice cream. <laughs> I would use vanilla ice cream. But I said to him, so do you like what do you like? Peanut butter cup. Or fucking uh, fish food. And he's a Bangladeshi 7-Eleven clerk. And he says, I only like spicy food. I only like spicy. I said, no, 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 no. (laughs) I'm not asking if you'd prefer spicy food to the ice cream. I'm saying, which ice cream would you prefer? And he says, right. He has not tried every flavor of ice cream. If I worked in that 7-Eleven, I would have eaten everything in the 7-Eleven. Yeah, I would take notes on it. I mean, I think that should be our next podcast is tasting 7-Eleven. And we just I worked at Kmart and there was a hurricane and they asked me to sleep over in the store, like to guard the store at night after the hurricane. I fucking ate everything that, that every kind of junk food they sold. How old were you when you did this? Twenty three. Twenty three years old. Kmart in Florida. You have to sleep over. Did you sleep over alone? Yeah. No, I was the only one in the store. Did you sleep in like a Kmart sleeping bag? I didn't sleep. So what did you do? I just walked around. I, I read a Stephen King novel. I ate junk food. I I don't I, I don't know. It's a long time ago, but I know that I stayed up all night. Did you get scared of being alone in the Kmart? No. I've you know, I have I've painted so many houses where I stay over the houses that I'm like I've had to go down into a basement of like a, how, a haunted house in the woods at you know three in the morning. I I don't get afraid of things like that. I know, but a, a Kmart late at night alone. No, it's great. I got a bicycle. I rode it all around the Kmart. I probably jerked off. I don't know. Very nice. Very nice. Um, what's going on with you, Ray? As my as my program falls apart, is yours come? Is yours becoming more and more solid? Mine is solid. I'm I'm doing a um, service commitment. I'm taking on a service commitment on Saturday. I'm going to be a greeter. Tell me more. Uh, my sponsor said there's going to be a business meeting on Saturday. I'm like, oh, God. And then he's like, and there's some upcoming ser- new service commitments. I'm like, yeah, I heard about it. And uh, I thought I'm probably going to do that. And he's like, that's what I was thinking. So I'm going to be like a greeter, which is I'm, I'm on there already 30 minutes before the meeting starts. So I'll be on there at 1230 and I'll just be a little bit friendlier than I usually am. I and think that's uh, great. You, you should come, Dave. I can't come. It's Saturday during the middle of the day, I can't come. There's no way. Um, but... I, I think the interesting thing is, yes, uh, my program is a shambles, and yes, 
I sipped a little bit of NyQuil in the middle of the week when I stayed up too late. And yes, I was sick earlier in the week. And yes, I was a little overworked and exhausted this month. But the beauty is that I can dial it back in. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to a meeting tomorrow. I'm going to do my exercise regime tomorrow. I'm going to get back on top of this thing. And that's yeah. like, and even if I was out fucking in the fucking garage right now, smoking weed and shooting dope, I could come back. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be preachy and stuff, but like you can, I mean, the point is to recognize and try to dial yourself back in. Right. You know how to come back if, if that happened, which, you know, people think like you go out and then you're out, but you're not out. You're just out for a minute. You're out for as long as you're out for, and if and if you're lucky enough to come back in, you, you're lucky enough right. to come if back. You in. don't OD. You know what I heard? I what? heard um, they did. Uh, I think they're doing it right now. This New Year's Eve uh, Zoom Dopey Zoom Marathon. I know. When you were like, I'm, I'm writing to you. It's now like what is it? Eleven. It's ten thirty nine, and I'm like. I'm going to go on if, if we're not going to do the show, I'm just going to go on the dopey zoom and see what's up. And I looked at the schedule and then you wrote back. I was like, what's up, dude. And you're like, we're running late. Fucking last night, supposedly in the last zoom of the day at 1130, there was a lady on the dopey zoom on meth and the dopey cast of characters convinced her to flush the meth down the toilet at 11:30 at night on Dopey Zoom last night. Wow. You know, I'm looking looking at the screen. I think we should do this on YouTube. This is good cuz you can't see you can see our expressions, but I just did like a oh my god expression. I think I did see something about that, but I didn't know what it was. I saw something about a toilet. Yeah, it's crazy. But you know what's going to happen is what we're there is going to be if you're down and I'm down there will be dopey video stuff on YouTube this year and I think the way we're going to start it is a la and I know I talked about this a la um old school public access with you and me sitting oh you you're worried about sitting with me still you're filthy diseased no I'm not I'm contaminated not, you know my dad is out of town until um in the middle of February or something. Where did he go? He drove to Florida. Really? He's in Florida now. He's on a. He's, he's seeing. He has. He has several lady friends in Florida and several uh, free timeshare opportunities. So my dad. Oh is my on, god! He's, he's he's done his Jewish pilgrimage to Mecca, which is of course Florida for Jews in New York. And, Get it, uh, Alan. <laughs> he's just he's just soaking it in, and and uh, he's. What city is he in? I think he's someplace on uh, the west coast. I think he's in Sanibel right now, and he's going to go. Sanibel? I oh think my so. God, that's the best. He's going to go to Naples. He's going somewhere else, probably. Check Marco out his Island. his peeps in Key Biscayne. My dad has Florida he's dialed in. He's got some rich girlfriends. Wow, listen, this this embarrasses my dad. So we don't want to go too deep down the Alan rabbit hole let's just i've been obsessing over florida i want to go to florida so bad and uh i've i never really knew much about marco island marco island is like it's kind of as rich as palm beach i don't know anything about it i i, I was in key i was in uh key west when i was a kid and my only memory was driving down one highway uh, and it was sunny, and the other side of the highway was raining. And then, oh, yeah. And then I watched the, the Netflix show Bloodline about Key West. Did you watch that show? No, and I'm, no. And I'm just dying to go back because it seems like 
just cool, you know? Well, Key West is now, you know, it used to be cool and kind of gay and arty. Now it's just millionaires. See, I just think... Like the, the, anywhere I, cool. I, I spent a lot of time in, uh, in Delray Beach. Like, I got sober in Delray Beach. Yeah. And, and I lived in Halfway in Delray Beach. And I think that there should be a TV show, like a, like a kind of hour-long drama comedy. I mean... You know, like a Sopranos thing, but about rehab and about Delray. rehab. Yeah, and me and me and a couple of friends have been working on something. We call it the Last Resort. You know, and it's like all about <laughs> is like Delray pop- Beach like the epicenter of Florida rehab industry? As far as I know, it is. But it's Delray, it's Boca, it's all that shit, and it would be about all these rich kids that show up in these pockets and cop and get sober in the community so if anyone in the dopey nation is trying to rip off the last resort <laughs> we have it done it's written you can't steal from us did you ever hear about the movie that i wanted to do and i pitched it to chris when we were doing the show no what is it the movie was called bum trip and it was about two bums who live in new york right and it's too yeah. cold for them to live in new york so they take it they have to travel to Florida. So they have to figure out so the two bums take a trip to Florida and that'd be like a comedy. That's great. But we never did that. I don't know why. Like South Florida to me, I'm from Florida, but South Florida is very exotic and I've never went there ever. And I'm just like fascinated by it right now. Well, you could go. You could go. Um, so here we go. Do you want to hear an email? Do you want to hear about my funny cats's story, or do you want to hear about my dream? Oh, <laughs> your, your your dream. That's no. I that's, want to hear about your dream. I want to hear about Ray's we're erotic. We're not going to talk about my his dream erotic on the dream. Air. You don't want to talk about your erotic dream. No, I don't. Ray had a very erotic dream that I'm not going to talk about. Uh, but it's very erotic and still incredibly program uh, minded at the same time. Let's hear your dream, because your dream was amazing. Well, my dream was um, was bizarre, um, and it wasn't the NyQuil dream, you know, because NyQuil will give you crazy dreams. I think I don't think it was the NyQuil dream. That that would have been everything if it was the dream that I had. That would make sense. Yeah, I, I don't think it was the NyQuil dream, but I had a dream that I was, um, and this might upset some people, but I had a dream. And you know Sam hates it when I talk about dreams. He doesn't like well, to hear everybody about- hates it when anybody talks about dreams, but this one is so special. I think it's worth it. Okay. Um Sam hates it when you talk about dreams or like hallucinations on psychedelics. Those are the two kinds of stories Sam hates to hear. Anyway, so in the dream I was in a hospital and I was with a friend or something and uh and Chris showed up in the dream. And uh, he sort of, he didn't like float in or something, but he was obviously not alive. And, um, but he was kind of there and he was wearing like sunglasses and he looked raggedy and, uh, and he talked to me and it was, uh, it was crazy because it was very much his voice, you know? And he told me, uh, that he's been kind of hanging out and uh and what it said to me was that he's not ready to go to the next place and that he's kind of just like watching the world go by like and that just reminds me of him 
like like in between things that he would like pay really close attention to something and uh but then he told me that he felt like his body was decomposing and he showed me his eyes and his eyes were kind of coming out but it wasn't like gross and scary it was just very matter of fact it was crazy it's a crazy dream i you know i it, i don't really believe a lot of that stuff but that sounded like that's plausible i'm like that was he wanted to contact you and a dream is the only medium he had to contact you and he did well but it's like i had dreams about chris the first year he had died where in the dream he was like annoyed like he was like evil version of chris and he like had an earring and he looked like a little bit thinner you know, like his cheekbones were a little bit more pronounced in those dreams. And he was like, kind of like he had chosen to stop doing the show. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll come and do the show. And I was like, that would be cool, whatever. In this dream, it really felt like him. And it wasn't like he came to tell me something. It was more like he just wanted to check in. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, oh, the show's great, blah, blah, blah. Congrats on 5 million downloads. I love DopeyCon too. He was more like, he was like, I can't stand Ray on the show. You have to get rid of him. No, he was he was he was just more like, you know, um he he's like almost like bored of his role as as somebody around and he wants to do the next thing. That was the Right. He's ready to go to to the next level. I don't have any sort of mystical view on this stuff whatsoever. The only thing about it was it was really nice to talk to him. And it was really what it was, was that I could really hear his voice in my head. You know, like I really yeah. heard his voice. And um, and I talk about this from time to time with Chris. Like we met, you know, in rehab in, in 2011 and we started making Dopey in 2015, 2016. And, uh, and then from 2016 to 2018, we were the best of friends. But it, Did you talk a lot between 2011 and 2015? No, no. We probably talked seven, eight times or something. We saw each other like twice. And then from 2015 to him dying, we talked every day. Every day, yeah. And every and so our, our whole life was dopey and our whole friendship was captured on dopey. And then he died and it was almost like it wasn't real. You know what I mean? Like... Our relationship was just like if you listen to Dopey, you basically hear our whole friendship. It's pretty fucking weird. Did, did you talk a lot off the air while yeah. you were doing the show? Yeah, we talked every day. We yeah. talked every day about the show, about um, what the next move was, and like, isn't it cool this, and isn't it crazy yeah. that, and all that shit. Um, but uh, it was it was cool. I, I also think I I, I think. I was listening to old episodes for some reason. Um, and maybe that got in my head and his voice got in my head and it influenced my dream. I'm not like Chris's spirit visited me kind of person. Although it did feel like I hung out with Chris. I also had a dream the other night that, that I hung out with my mother, which is the most amazing thing when you can be with somebody who's gone in a dream. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, and it was like, um, was it current day or was it back years ago? Well, the dream with my mother was totally psycho dream. Like 
I was a serial killer, <laughs> killing <laughs> killing lots of people, and I had just murdered somebody in my apartment, and I was chain smoking cigarettes. And my mom and my mom didn't know she was dead. My parents came over in the dream. And I was trying to like not. I didn't want forget the fact that I had murdered somebody. I didn't want her to know that I was smoking. So like that, <laughs> it was like a Three's Company episode where I was trying to make sure she didn't know that I was smoking. But meanwhile, there was like a corpse in the bathroom off the bedroom or something. Oh, it was, that's so sweet. Yeah, that, that was it was an odd dream. Um, before we say anything else, though, we have an ad to do for uh, Nat Kingsley's podcast which is, of course, Recovery in the Middle Ages. Oh, yeah. Which I was is, supposed to remind you, but I'm the worst person for this because I've lost my mind. Well, Nat Kingsley does a podcast called Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Nat yeah, is I, I, I listened to the, the podcast, and I wrote to Nat, and I was like, y'all have a really nice chemistry together, and... Uh, I asked about their relationship and he said they had basically just met and like before they started doing it. And I know that, uh, you know, they just had Jed from church and other drugs on their show and it sounds oh, yeah? like a really cool show. I mean, I'm a 40 something, uh, sober person living in the suburbs. I'm, I'm shocked that he never asked me to go on this. Podcast. Yeah, you could be on that. Who knows? But let's just say it's, it's recovery in the middle ages. Uh, it is on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts. They discuss topics like 12-step recovery, the alt-recovery movement, medical research, and other stuff on their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity anonymity in the, world, in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings if the neighbors only knew. Again, that's recoveryinthemiddleages.com. So, Wait, they're on Long Island, right? They are. They have a store right down the road. Have you ever met them in person? No, but supposedly Nat, Nat I owe Nat an Oyve snapback, and I was sure I put it in the mail, but he said he never got it. And I'm tempted just to, he owns a sporting goods store, and I'm tempted just to drive to the sporting goods store and drop it off because it's so, fucking shipping shit is like, it makes me crazy. Anyway. Did you see that there's a lady in Australia that ordered some dopey stuff and then she's like, she gave up on it and then she ordered more and then it all came at once. And she's got like a clothesline full of Yeah, that was shit. great. I, I screen captured that and sent it to Bo. <laughs> I love that. I, my favorite thing about Bo is that Bo decided I made it the biggest in the cat weasel scene. Which, you did. <laughs> wow. Come on. I mean, I get oh, wait, what's his name from uh, Adam from the Moldy Peaches? Adam Green. What about the dude, um, the dude, uh, oh God, what was that guy? The ghost of, uh, what was the guy? The, oh, the ghost of touching you? Yeah. What about the ghost of touching you? <laughs> Isn't he? Yeah. He's made it. He's huge. Right. Isn't he huge in like Rikers or something? Wasn't that his big he stick? He was always in Rikers. Yeah. Um, now I wanted to touch base with the great Bob Forrest on New Year's Day and get some thoughts of his about New Year's Day. So I was on the phone with him, and uh, I want to play for the Dopey Nation what Bob had to say. You want to hear? Yes, I've been waiting all night to hear it. Perfect. On the phone right now, Dopey super friend and huge patron of the show, inspiration for the show, the great Bob Forrest. Welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. You know, I know, it's been a hell of a 2020, that's for sure. I'm glad to see it gone. 
Happy and, New uh, Year's. And but I am fascinated with all my friends that are so optimistic today, being January first, that everything's going to be so different. I don't feel like it's much different, but it definitely is. I already wrote two zero two one already today. I forget what I wrote it on. I wrote it on a text. I wrote it on a text to my friend Dave. Let me just look it up. Have you written 2021 yet? No, but I don't think I really wrote 2020 many times, Bob, to be honest with you. We were, me and my I wife. Happy, I just wrote at, at, at 345 today to my friend, happy 2021. So far, so good. That's what I wrote. It's only like 15 hours into it. Oh, God, Dave. I don't know, man. It's like. Last night for New Year's Eve, I hung out with my wife and my 10-year-old, and we watched, like, the dumbest fucking New Year's shows. You know what I mean? All those countdown shows. And some woman was saying that it's going to be 2020 fun, Bob. And, I, and all I could think was... Fun. Yes. And she said she couldn't believe she was saying it because some very clever dude had written it for her to say. But it's like... It's gonna be uh, the same as 2020. I I, I love that that uh, 2020 fun, Bob. You can't get behind it. No, I saw I I I was asleep by ten. We watched the 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 Anderson Cooper or whatever and the other guy get drunk. Um, and Mariah Carey was on there for like an hour and forty two minutes. It was the most boring shit I ever saw. And then and then finally the ball dropped. And Sydney had never seen the ball drop and my four-year-old. So we watched it drop and she kept holding her ears because she thought when it hits the ground, it's going to blow up like some video game. And I was like, no, 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 it's just going to drop. It's just going to come to the bottom and that's it. And then, uh, and then we went to bed and we were asleep by 10. Then I woke up at 4.40 a.m. Right. And the world was still intact. I remember one yeah. New Year's years ago, I like shot as much dope as I had and I hoped I wouldn't wake up, you know what I mean? Like, and I woke up, you know what I mean? Like, but I remember that was my feeling about it. Um, this year, like, what do you think the addicts perspective? Last time we spoke was over the summer, kind of like the height of COVID was going down. And, uh, I think I had just gotten over it and, and you were, were a little bit sick and, like, what has the, the vibe been out there amongst addicts? Oh, it's, like, it's like we feel like New York City now. We're the epicenter of the world, Los Angeles. And and it's the, it's just frightening. You got There's a hospital near my house where people are waiting in their cars outside for somebody to die so they can go into the ICU. And this is what just makes it so insane when people think that it's not real or it's a conspiracy like there's people I can show you with my phone. I can go down to the San Bernardino Hospital at Mount San Hospital and show you the people waiting for a bed, waiting for somebody to die or be discharged so they can check into the hospital. Like right. it's not a conspiracy. It's not it's not fake news. You know, so so part of me is just as pessimistic as I've ever been about 2021 being much different than 2020, mostly because, you know, you have every hospital bed in Southern California is filled with people waiting in the parking lot. And half the society is not wearing masks and saying it's all a conspiracy and it's all fake. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how dumb do you got to be to think this is fake? How dumb do you have to be? 
Well, you have to be pretty fucking stupid, Bob. <laughs> now, does it mean that I'm going to die of it? Probably not. Dr. Drew has it right now, you know? Yeah. Kicked his fucking ass. Right. Which is some weird karmic retribution in yeah, the ether. Yeah, it was, it was weird. We won't get into that. But um, it's not like the flu, uh, according to Dr. Drew. Not at all like the flu. Well, you know what it is, Bob? I I had it, and it reminded me of a mix between strep throat and kicking dope, but it didn't get into my lungs. You know what I mean? People have it. Yeah, you're lucky. People have it in different ways. Like, one thing I was always curious about, like, I I have a lot of people out here who listen to Dopey um, and who live around Philadelphia, and, and there's this area in Philadelphia called Kensington, which is this crazy open-air drug market. And it seems like everything is business as usual there. Is downtown... Yeah, as usual at the drug areas and the homeless, it's all business as usual like, around here, too. And it's all, it's all kind of weird. It's just like, it feels like we're living in that movie, that Terry Gilliam movie with, with, uh, with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. What was that movie? Uh, the That's- Fisher King. Yeah, that's what L.A. feels like. L.A. feels like we're living in that movie. Right, right. It's insane. So so everybody's optimistic or wanting, you know, they're both put 2020 behind us and 2021 will be better. And I'm just not, I'm a realist. I'm, I'm, I'm the glass is, is both half full and half empty. So you know that that uh, that thing of like they show you a glass, it's half full, and how you see it is how you view the world. Sure. I remember the first time that came up when I was like in third or fourth or fifth grade, saying, "Well, it's half full and it's half empty." I've always been like that. It's like, both since I was a kid. It's not half. You, you, you got to look at it as half full is naive, and to look at it as half empty is kind of being a baby. It's half full and it's half empty. What else do you want to know? Well, <laughs> nobody ever said it's middle, right? They, if, they, you go, if you go back and look at the Bicycle Thief logo that was on our shirts on the second tour, it's just a picture of a glass, half full, half empty, and it has question mark next to it. That was the Bicycle Thief's logo. It's up to you what you think. And I've always just gone this middle way. And that's what I was, I've been trying to convey to everyone. I'm not optimistic about 21, 21 for our society, for our country. I am very optimistic about it for myself and my, my circle of friends and my family. Um, but it's hard to live outside of the society because you're so affected by it, right? Totally. People are so angry. Like, here's the thing. I live in Claremont, which is a very kind of kind, you know, small, sleepy college town, right? And I got out of my car, and often I forget to put my mask on, right? Because I'm going in and out. You know, I immediately, I hate having kids when you got to get them in and out of the car. It's such a hassle, isn't it, Dave? It's a fucking hassle. Tell me about you gotta, it. You got to get the seat thing unbuckled and got to make sure they don't get hit by a car. And then Elvis doesn't want to get out of the car because he's on his phone. He's saying, how long are we going to be? It's just a fucking nightmare getting out of the car. And so often in that chaos, I forget my mask. In Claremont, the nicest people say, and here's the interesting thing. I was walking uh, walking towards Starbucks in downtown Claremont. And a lady said to me, you forgot your mask. 
And I went, oh, my God. Now, her perception of me is that I'm a good person. The glass is half full. And I just forgot. Unless unless she's a super passive, aggressive, annoying woman who's like, oh, you forgot your mask. Meaning, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? but, But let me tell you about in Huntington Beach, I forgot my mask. And no one wears masks. And so then you don't, you're just like, and then I found myself, do I really have to walk back to my car and get my mask? No one here is wearing a mask. They're supporting my non-maskedness. And then I walked back to my car and got my mask. And then I'm the only person on the street with a mask. Right? And this is this is 20 minutes away from each other. Two towns in Southern California. 20 minutes away. So in a society that is so divided and so crazy, I have no optimism about the society and what's to come in 2021. I believe Biden's approval rating will be below 40 by June. Everybody will blame him for the bureaucratic idiocracy of vaccine rollout. Um, You know, we're just a broken society. We're like the Fisher King in Los Angeles. It's like Brazil, that movie Brazil, another Terry Gilliam movie. We are living in Terry Gilliam's world. Do you know? I just realized. You, it's you, Monty Python. Yes. Right? Yes. Do you know that they shot the Fisher King when I was in high school? And in the movie The Fisher King, they were trying to break into a castle. You know, that yeah. castle was my high school. They, that was they shot it right outside of my high school, and we were there. I was like in eleventh grade when they were shooting it, and they were just right there. So The, the Fisher King was a big part of my whole uh, growing up. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah. But that's what it feels like. There's campfires. It's all crazy. Homeless people walking around. Like, it's crazy. It's like Los Angeles is crazy. COVID is is making it, it's making people even be more even more divided. They're threatening to kill Dr. Anthony Fauci, the leading epidemiologist in the world. People want to kill him. They're threatening to kill him. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, anybody who can be optimistic in the middle of all this is delusional, and they should check into a mental hospital. This is madness. But personally, this is the the weird thing. Personally, my life is good. We're having another baby. Everything's good. It's kind of irritating, you know, the kids never leaving the house. But other than that, you know, we had an uh, overnight with a friend of Elvis's who he's already had COVID. The boy, uh, boy, you know, had it. So, you know, we tried to do the best we can. But in general, I was outside most of the day listening to music and, you know, playing with my kids and, and doing nothing. So no matter no matter how bad it is, you're making the best of it. You're finding a little bit of beauty in the horrible but chaos. But I think everybody can if you stop focusing on good and bad and right and wrong and black and white and this and that and that and this and I don't agree with that and this is, you know, all the the Facebook world that, that it's made everybody believe like you either like something or don't like something. Right. So Sid, my daughter, has grown up only knowing this this world. She was born in you know in August of 2016. In three months, Donald Trump became president. Um, uh, so she she does this thing. We have thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs sideways. Means thumbs sideways means I don't know. I don't know if I like it or I don't like it. Thumbs sideways is is the thing that's missing in our society. I like, like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't like that people don't care about each other, but I don't dislike that they don't care about each other because part of me thought they never cared about each other at all anyways. And now the gloves are off and, and the, and the, and the, and the screening Trump has ripped away all kinds of, of delusions that we had about ourselves. When I go, it's done a public good, which is make us see who we really are as a society. Well, it's showing the worst of us. When I go to meetings, like I go to this meeting, an in-person meeting on the beach, um, and the thing that I hear people share all the time is that working a program of recovery has allowed people to say, I don't know. Like it's their favorite thing to say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's kind of like we were talking before about how people who are sober get to exist outside of one way or the other. And it's more about like looking after each other. It's a righteous path. I don't know. Well, is okay. To, to me, to, in, in a society where 20% of the population is either on benzos or on drugs or in and out of mental hospitals or treatment centers or in, entering a uh, uh, emergency room with an overdose, 20% of the population is now that. In a society that's drenched in greediness and selfishness and narcissistic, like, idolatry of rich people and, and beauty and wealth and this vulgarity that our society is, it is a righteous act of rebellion to become sober and remove yourself from that. Well, I love that. To be more neutral, to be more, I don't know, to be more... Um, and I'm not saying you got to be kind and compassionate. And I, I think that people bragging about kindness and compassion is a bit much for me. But just to to not choose sides. And I, I think I said it to you before, like, it's really hard not to choose sides because everybody's trying to get you to choose sides. I get called uh, a Trumper a lot and I get called a fucking liberal a lot. And it's because I, whoever I'm with, I have conservative friends and 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 Trump Trump voting friends, and I have obviously by a lot of Biden voting friends and a lot of kind of liberal friends. And since I won't join in their echo chamber, they 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 get frustrated, and then they say, "Well, you're not Trumper, are you?" Or they say, "You're still a fucking liberal, Bob. You're still LA. You're still all that. You you fucking all the the." So if you just remain neutral, you get attacked by both sides. Right. It's interesting. Well, you're allowed to exist in the middle. You're allowed to do that. And I think that's that's the beauty of uh, of, of not being crazy. And it's the beauty of, of putting recovery before all that shit. You know, um, the question. Well, here's the thing that happened in 2008. Was it 2000? Yeah, seven, 2007. W. Bush started drinking in 2006, I believe, in Germany. So he was sober most of his presidency. Then he started drinking. A friend of mine got contacted, Tom Arnold, by people very close to the president saying, if you were to do an intervention, how do you do it? So they inquired. This is Dick Cheney and members of the cabinet and the Bush family said, Tom, how do you do an intervention? This is on Bush while he's president. Amazing. Right? And I realized once Tom told me that, like, yeah, you know, there's a little worry that Bush is going to go too far or whatever. I said, well, he's already gone too far in my book. But anyway, so I was not a big fan of W. Bush. Not at all. 
But I started realizing, like, if he comes to my rehab, there's something more important than my political beliefs. It's really weird. I really, because, you know, it's only, if, if at that time in 2007, 2008, the most famous people dealing with addiction were like Dr. Drew and me and our hospital and Tom Arnold and all this kind of world, right? And they had reached out to him because Schwarzenegger is friends of Tom Arnold and Drew. And so it was just like, I might go into work one morning and W. Bush might be a patient. Right. And I really thought about it. And I lived in Joshua Tree at the time and I meditated on it. And I said to myself out loud, there are more important things in my life than politics. Right, right. And that's like one addict helping another addict. It, it's like finding that's common the most ground. most important thing. Right, exactly. And that's really the most important thing with all of this, with looking forward. It's like, how can you be of service? How can you be cool to the next person? And how can you shut up and mind your own fucking business when you can? Yeah, when you can. Or how do you not pay attention and not, I, I you know, try saying this uh, a couple of months ago, a month ago, a month and a half ago. I don't think I'm going to vote. Try saying that to anybody right before the election. Try saying that. Because I, I didn't know until the day I went and voted that if I was going to vote or not. I didn't vote, Bob. I haven't voted since 1992. Okay. Did you tell people you didn't? Yeah. I haven't really talked. I mean, if anybody they, asked me, I'd What did they them. say? Didn't they attack you? No, because New York was going to go blue. They didn't care. Well, that's, I could say that about California, but for some reason, you know, uh, it just it, it just seemed like, I don't know. It there was a little like, bit of a blowback. I got to no. go vote this time. No, I get it. I, I got to go I get uh, it. stay in my peace. Yeah, I had blowback. There was blowback, but I, I kind of, I mean, like, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not a political person. Like, I'm just, I, I. I know that I don't believe that my vote really counts, but I'm fucked up like that. Well, that's now you're in the majority. <laughs> now, now everybody thinks it's all fake. But uh, but anyways, I just I've been battling this last six months whether the the society that I had lived in and was hopeful would return is coming back, and I'm getting more and more pessimistic about it. And I and that's okay. It doesn't have to come back. The world doesn't have to be according to Bob. Bob has to make his world according to the world. And in my in my instance, it's kind of to stay neutral and stay as removed as I can. No, I respect that. I, I get that. Do you think when people are going down to cop heroin on Sixth and Spring in downtown LA, they're wearing masks though? Do you think? I've seen. I've seen. I've seen a lot of the uh, homeless population, you know, because I equate homelessness with drug addiction. I know that that's not the, uh, you know, that's not uh, politically correct these days, but it definitely is. So uh, uh, there's a correlation between homelessness and mental illness and mental health and, and opportunity and addiction, right? And so... I noticed that when they're around other people, the homeless people wear masks. I was really, I, th- I thought it was really quaint. Like I'm talking about floridly psychotic people too. Like, I don't know how many of Dopey Nation live in Cal in LA. 
California is our number one state. Okay, so you talk to a lot of people that don't they talk about the homelessness? Like it's insane, Dave. I've never seen anything like it. It's like it's like you're driving down the street and it's a movie. It's like some Arnold Schwarzenegger futuristic Terminator movie. Right. And there's just like all these zombies walking around. It's crazy. And I feel for these people and I want it to change and I don't know how. If you're going to call it a homeless problem, you're going to always have a problem because it's a mental health and addiction problem. Right. Well, it's because the weather's so good there. That's why the problem. The weather's too good there. So everybody goes there because they can live free off the land, I think. That's my, that's my philosophy. Yeah, I was homeless in New York City in 1983 when the Red Hot Chili Peppers fired me for going and seeing the replacements. Did I ever tell you that story? No, tell so, us the story. So the Chili Peppers, I was their road manager in the beginning on the first tour, and then I was demoted to just a roadie because I was drunk all the time. And then and then we were in New York, and my favorite band, The Replacements, Let It Be, their album Let It Be had just come out, and they were playing CBGBs. And the Chili Peppers were supposed to play Maxwell's in Hoboken that night. And I paid the road manager my per diem so that I didn't have to go to Maxwell's and Roadie and I could go see the replacements. Okay. I didn't tell Anthony and Flea this. So when I, I, and the replacements were staying in the same hotel, the Iroquois Hotel on 44th Street, I think it is. The Iroquois is right next door to the Algonquin Hotel. The Iroquois Hotel, where the Clash used to say the replacements were staying and the Chili Peppers were staying. And I get back to the hotel and I do a bunch of coke with the replacements and I, to my room at like five in the morning and I just lay down and go to sleep. And then the next day we're supposed to drive out to like Philadelphia and those guys, I meet in the lobby and those guys say, you're fucking fired. Here's a hundred dollars. And here's your, you're not getting in the van. And they drove away. I sat in front of the hotel thinking they're joking, right? They're going to come back and get me. They're my best friends. They can't leave me here. They were so pissed that I went and saw the replacements and didn't do my job. They were so pissed. So I was homeless in New York City for like two weeks. I used to stay up in the Bronx at this homeless shelter. It was like an elementary school. It opened up at night. We went in there and there was cots all in the gymnasium. And uh, it was fucking cold. Yeah. It was cold and ruthless. And you just wandered, rode the subways around and around and around. Nothing go try to go to friends' houses that I didn't have many people in New York I knew. Being homeless just for two weeks in New York was unbearable. So, I, yeah, I understand. Being homeless in L.A. is way better than New York. Well, how did you get home? I ended up uh, some uh, a, a, a girlfriend wired me money in Western Union. And back then, you could just buy a ninety nine dollar plane ticket home, right? Because those guys gave me a hundred bucks to get a plane ticket. It was up to me to get to the airport and get home, and I spent it on drugs and drinking, of course. Well, I love that story. I think that's. Yeah. Do you think also like in L.A. right now, like when I used to buy uh, dope on the street, you know, they would spit it out of their mouth, the paquete or whatever, uh, the fucking balloons. Do you think they're lifting up the mask before they spit the balloons out? Is that like part of the yeah, new culture? I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that it's like that anymore. There's a lot of delivery services, from what I understand. Dave, do you know that on March 16th of 2021, which we are in day one of 2021, so in 60. What, 75 days, 
I will be 25 years sober. That's amazing. Bro. That's a pretty big number. It's amazing. I was going to ask you. 25 years sober. Do you do you do any of the do you do any of the AA Zoom? Do you do you go to meetings? Do you, are you what are you doing? Yeah, with that? I, 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 you know, I go and then I get bored and then I I kind of turn my phone up and just go in the other room. Right. But I I hear it in my headphones. But it's just like I can't sit there and look around at the person talking. It's just oh god. It's weird. It's weird. I love the yeah. in-person meetings. I haven't gotten acclimated to the Zoom meetings. But twenty-five years is a, is a serious number, and I'm excited for it. We'll, we'll do a big. Yeah, I'm trying to special. think of when I break even. When I'm sober half as long as I'm alive, so I'll be sixty and I'll be twenty-five years. If I'm making another five, then I'll be sixty-five and thirty-five. So I'm coming up on. Uh, 65 and 30 in seven years i'll be 32 years sober and and oh no when do i break even when i i always think half is breaking even so if i'm sober half of my life well don't i get to that point dave you're a mathematician you work in a restaurant how do you do it you get to the when point. Get to the break even point when I you're call it, when you're sober how, half as long as i am old I think that's it. Or isn't it you're sober as long as you didn't use? I mean, how long did you use oh, for? You used I from, used from, well, if you really started with drinking, I used from 76 to 96, 20 years. So I'm well beyond. Even so you broke even. You're on, you're on the five years and the good part. You're in the bonus. Yeah, you, I was thinking about somebody, uh, uh, Somebody was saying uh, they the, the you know something about math and math is so popular and I thought I really thought like if I did math I I would probably die I would probably have a heart attack I really would <laughs> I like potato yeah. chips and stuff I haven't done drugs in twenty five years it's crazy well wow. so so I'm optimistic about my life your life our friends lives I'm pessimistic about the society I'm optimistic that that sobriety will look more and more rebellious and anti-authority. And, and that's what I always wanted because sobriety to me always looked like compliance and, and becoming boring and mainstream right. and normal. They used to word that, that normal. Don't you want a normal? I remember in Hazelden in 88, they said, don't you want a normal life? And I literally the words jumped out of my mouth like, fuck no. Right. Are you kidding me? No, I don't want a normal life. I was so offended that they thought I was so stupid that I'd want a normal life. But it's the opposite. You get to blaze your own trail like this. You get true yeah. freedom. And, that, and now there's no one on earth could want to be a part of this, this society in, in, a, in some normal way. I, I just don't, I don't, there's just so much anger and misery and division and hatred. Like, let's just face it, hatred. Well, we were gonna um, call we were gonna call DopeyCon too the international jamboree of love. Because what yeah. the world needs now is love, sweet love, Bob. It's all we need. It is. Well, what the world needs is is each other and what we're using all these different things to exclude each other. Like all these different opinions and all these different kind of in the old days, like the only thing that divided people was not politics. Like, no, I, I didn't know any young person that was conservative. I didn't. And I knew hundreds, of, you know, tens of thousands of people. There was no young people that were like Ronald Reagan lovers. There were none. Right. 
now you talk to like 19 year old kids are like Trumpers. They just love it. You know what I mean? It's so weird. They don't know I, what I don't to know do. how I would be 19 in a society like this. But anyways, how you did divide was music and movies and books, right? Because everyone generally had this, generally the same kind of music, same kind of books, maybe a little bit different. Like you had Maya Angelou or you had William Burroughs or you had this or you had that. Like everybody had the same kind of aesthetic right. uh, in, in general, right? And like like my mom used to read Taylor Taylor I forget what the name Taylor something like these these romantic novels like none of my friends read read those so so the only thing that sometimes you would go over to somebody's house and they'd have like really bad records in their record collection and they didn't read and whatever maybe you kind of judge them and ostracize them and didn't go back and hang out with them. But in general, everybody was cool and everybody that did drugs and liked punk rock music or alternative music was smart. Now, now it's just not like that anymore. And I don't know what happened to cool. I don't know where it's gone. I just know that from the jazz age or from field holler music or, or the moonshine or bluegrass music, all the way through generation after generation, there was this reverence, respect, and and elaboration of what had come before. And now all of a sudden, it's just stopped. Like now, it's all just like McDonald's. It's just like McDonald's and Walmart. The music is like McDonald's and Walmart. The movies are like McDonald's and Walmart. The culture is like McDonald's and Walmart. Right. There's no nooks and crannies. So I think just to reject all that. Say I don't take drugs. I don't. I don't live in this society having these society's values. I don't idolat. I don't idolize Kanye or the Kardashians or Taylor Swift or BTS. I don't participate in this sickness and disease that is the American culture. To live righteous, upright, strong, open-minded, moving forward for your community and yourself that's yes. what has to happen yes bob i love it i think that you've exactly nailed it on the head we're talking about freedom and love and uh and looking out for each other you know and and doing what you want you know having your own ability to well, choose but what's interesting is when, when you group together people who look out for themselves you don't really have to look out for each other everybody's looking out for each other and then respecting one another that, you know, and then we look out for our less fortunate, right? That's yeah. the thing that me and my friends have tried to do for 40 years. We're cool. We're cool. We're free thinkers. We're, we know how to take care of our business. We know how to socially distance. We know how to wear masks. We know how to stay safe. We know how to, how to do this. And we also know how to take care of children who don't have enough food to eat and don't have access to music education and access to drug treatment. Right. You, you take care of yourself. You join together with a bunch of people who take care of themselves. And then you form a union, a, a coalition and you help the less fortunate. I'm not, I'm not into helping people who are hateful and full of like idolatry of wealth. And I'm just not, you know, I'm not, I'm not with that. You know, I don't. I don't think we have to. Uh, I, I. They have the right to be that way, but I don't have to. Like you know, be so uh, focused on them. But just right? like if George W. Bush showed up, if one of these dudes showed up really sick, you would help them. You just would. 
I always do because, because, and then honestly, I can tell you this, whenever I come in contact with somebody I really click with and end up sponsoring or helping or whatever, at a certain point, we have such shared values nine out of 10 times. We remain friends for life. Here's the interesting thing. Some of them are Republican Trumpers, but, but there's a kindness and a respect that they have. Right. Right. It's not within our society. It, it's so strange. I just think our society is so sick and we all need to really do a gut check. I think everyone should just get off of Facebook. I think Mark Zuckerberg should be put out of business. I think it's just a fucking lie. It's right. just bullshit. It's an echo Social chamber. Social media is the devil. And you've been off of it for a bit, right, Bob? Is it, has your yeah, world improved? Yeah, here on January, I think, 19th. So one year off social media, 25 years off drugs and alcohol, the great Bob Forrest. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I'm ready to love and ready to help children and ready to help my community, but I'm not ready to participate in, in uh, you know, this kind of tit-for-tat politics and this tit-for-tat sociology. I'm not willing to participate in Maoist leftist ideas. I'm not willing to participate in this ridiculous, like, QAnon nonsense. I just opt out of all of that. And if you need help with drugs, I'll help you. If we, if we can't grow into a better person, a more kind, open-hearted person, a more tolerant person, then fine, go be hateful and be sober. But me and my friends and thousands of people I know and Dopey Nation, we're like, live and let live. It's the motto that I saw in the, in the, in the, in the clubhouse at the first AA meeting I ever went to, live and let live. And I remember seeing that and thinking, Joe Strummer would like that. Right. If Joe Strummer saw that, he'd say, yeah, yeah. Thelonious, live and let live, man. That's the way to do it. Right. That's the way to fucking do it. Live and let live, man. I love it, Bob. Because that's how he used to talk to me. Is he always you... called me Thelonious. I didn't know if he knew my name was Bob or not, but when it's Joe Summers calling you anything, you just you just answer. He's like, yeah, man. Whatever you say, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Bob. So... Uh I do so live and not live, but that doesn't mean I have to like support idiocracy. I don't. You don't. And you know what Bob Marley used to always say? Rasta don't work for no CIA. Stand up for your rights. Yes. Rasta don't work for no CIA. Fuck that shit. Rasta don't work for no CIA. He um, also said some crazy stuff too, but what but else? What was the bad stuff? The that ones Bob, that are on the billboards. What did Bob say that was bad? Huh? What What did Bob Marley say that was crazy? Oh, he got pretty crazy with the Israelites and the tribes and the uh, Ali Selassie. It's pretty, you know, I'm not a big religion guy. I don't know if you know that or not, Dave. Not big on religion. I do know that. The Judaism is probably my favorite, but none of them are really uh, in my cup of tea. Well, I got you, Bob. I love you. I love your message. Fucking live and let live. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, I, I love you, and toodles to Chris. So that's the great Bob Forrest. He he might be the person that put Dopey on the map. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, he contributed a lot to putting Dopey on the map. Do you think that there is any hope that things get better, Mr. Brown? I did not hear the conversation with Bob Forrest, but 
you you uh, recapped it for me. I I think I'm not as pessimistic as he is. It sounds like, but uh, yeah, I could understand pessimism and uh, things are divided. And I don't know if this disease is totally fixed by the vaccine. I don't know. I have hope, Mister Brown. I have hope. I come from a town called Hope. <laughs> I think it, it could be awesome if it just like. If the vaccine worked and then everything just opened up again and it's springtime and then flowers are blooming and everybody's dancing at the beach, it would be great. Um, fucking, uh, I'm working, I'm, you know, my cat's customer service shit has just been like, it's been crazy. Just Still. Like, well, no, I mean, I, it, I, I, on New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, I kind of was done. You know, uh, it was Linda's mom's birthday. I, I, I kind of did a half day. But uh, up until then, every day was just like many, many hours a day, many, many phone calls, many, many emails. And this dude calls in and he goes, yes, I'd like to place an order. And I'm like, OK. And he, I go, what's your name? He goes, can I place an order with you? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, what's your name? And he's like, my name is Bob. And I'm like, all right, Bob, what's your email? He goes, my email is bobtomato at gmail.com. I said, I said, right on, Bob. Do you grow tomatoes? He goes, who told you that? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, how did you know I grew tomatoes? I said, Bob, your email is bobtomatoes. And he started laughing. He really did. It was like the weirdest thing. Can you imagine your email is, is you know, yours would be like Ray69 or something. <laughs> There was this dude I worked with. He's a classic figure in dopey history, actually. His name is Lenny, right? Lenny's a waiter at Katz's. He's been a waiter at Katz's uh, for years and years and years. Oh, he's the old man. No, 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 no. Lenny is a young Dominican kid who, when I relapsed... He's, he's in Last Jewish Waiter. He's, yeah, he's in The Last Jewish Waiter. He's uh, a young guy. He used to come to my house every day and smoke pot with me. And, like, he would be, like, disgusted that my bong was dirty. So he would make me go to the head shop with him. And uh, he'd buy, like, the chemical to clean my bong. And he'd clean the <laughs> bong. And he'd roll blunts. And I'd smoke weed. And he'd always play, like, the Nas record off of Spotify every time. He would just listen to Nas and smoke bong hits. And he would, like, read about... He was, like, this terrible fucking sports gambler he was obsessed with gambling so all he would do was check out statistics and um i asked him like once like i had to send him a link to something and i said what's your email and he said oh raw dog 69 <laughs> at, at yahoo or something <laughs> which i just thought was the funniest thing wait he's not the one that said dave he's bad man no that's marty no 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 okay. no that's that's my djembe that's my djembe. Okay. Dave, he's bad, man, and slow. <laughs> and slow. <laughs> yes. No, that was my djembe. But the point is that uh, Bob's email was Bob's Tomatoes, and Lenny's email was rawdog69 at Yahoo. <laughs> I'm going to change my email to rawdog69. <laughs> it's a classic, classic email. Um, now, uh, at the beginning of the episode... I played this song. It was kind of Brian Jonestown Massacre-esque. Um, it's this guy, and he sent in songs before. He did the song that was called I Don't Mean to Freak You Out, But Do You Know Where I Could Get Some Heroin, which was uh, 
the way I would often look for heroin yeah, was my line. I remember that. And he did he did a bunch of songs. His name is Damon. He's a mailman and he did that song and he wrote and he's uh he's in treatment right now. Um an intensive outpatient. He wrote a little note. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. He said, I was just, hey, Dave, I was just trying to work out a decent arrangement of good, so bad to record, and I gave up. I thought I would drop a line instead. I am in IOP right now. I put it off last year. I am getting time back slowly and surely. I just wanted to let you know that there was this thing that you said on the show about relapsing. You made the point about not getting hung up on losing time. If you relapse after 90, that is 90 days that you didn't lose. That time isn't lost. I have shared this in a bunch of meetings and at IOP, and it has really resonated with a lot of guys. Now, anytime somebody comes in feeling like shit for relapsing, I will throw my expanded version of that at them. So thanks for that. One of these days, I will send you stories. Maybe I will send you a new tune, which he did. For now, here is this picture that I found from during the riots. It's me the day the station burned down. Take care, Damon. Um, what do Wait, you think they burned it? the post office down? Yeah, I think they did burn the post office down. I think it was in Minneapolis. It was the, the picture oh, from there. That's awesome. Um, that dude, though, I love the song and I love that guy. And he, he, I mean, I love everybody that sends in anything. I love anybody that's part of our little thing. Don't, it reminded me a little of Brer. Right. It's a little. It's a little Brer esque. But uh, I wonder, does Brer listen to the show? He was annoyed. Brer, for everybody who doesn't know is a guy that was the guitar player, the original guitar player in Filthiest Nation. And he did uh, the uh, Billy Squire dopey. He did one of my <laughs> favorite dopey songs, which is Dopey, I sit out on the floor. Dopey, he's like, can I have some more? Dopey, say dopey. And he goes, I yeah, got Brer is a musical genius. He can do anything. I don't think he listens to to the show. Okay. Bre- Brer's Bre- also a nut. Well, Brer's also like, <laughs> I don't know if he's a full on alcoholic, but he used to drink like fifths of of you know just he never stopped drinking. He would yeah, get, he's the one that he would bring a bottle of whiskey in his guitar case, and I'm like, oh, he's the one that got me doing that. I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. I the first time I met Brer, and I kind of I knew of him before I met him in person. Cause he's legendary in our scene. He was like, yeah, I was, I was, he would take the train back from Penn station to New Jersey. He was like, I was walking home and I saw this guy and, uh, I, I, he looked at me and I looked at him and then I was, I just kept walking and I turned around and he was still following me. And then I turned every two blocks and he was still following me. I think he thought I wanted to have gay sex with him. I'm like, Brer, you like, gave him the stats you by turning around you were going follow me <laughs> follow me for gay sex but that's i mean like that's interesting but that's funny because uh you always did you you had a little thing for brer brian didn't you i've written several songs about brer well there you go brer um was literally like he's just a musical genius a guitar playing genius and a a real genius of harmonies you know a real Harmony genius. And uh, he said he's going to write some more dopey stuff. He's in Dopey Nation. I don't know if you knew that. No, I know. He's, I've, I've seen him there. All right. So um, hold on. And Br'er is also inadvertently responsible for us meeting. So that's a great Br'er Brown yeah. quality as well. Br'er might have introduced us. 
No, I think what it was, to be honest with you, because I remember this and I've never talked to you about this, was that we played at that open mic on the, in the East Village and you had a style with your songs, which was very much the way I always wanted to write songs. Like, I always wanted to do kind of what you did and I never managed to do it. And then I also could tell you were kind of the mayor of the scene and, uh, and I, you were just a very affable type. So I, I started talking to you immediately and we hit it off. Yeah. I, rem- I remember talking to you like on the steps of cat weasel. The weirdest thing about that Ray is in my memory, we were in an elevator when we had that conversation and we couldn't have been in an elevator, but that's just the way I, I remember telling you that I was like, because I, I was one of those people who had just gotten clean and I was telling everybody that I just gotten clean and what a bummer it was to be like everyone's using and I have to be clean and blah, blah, blah. And in my memory, we were in an elevator, but we weren't in an elevator. No, we were at Cat Weasel, I think, on the steps. But I remember thinking, this guy is really upfront and honest about being a junkie. Like, wow, I just met him. Well, I was just I was out of my fucking mind. I was out of my mind. And that scene was also like junkie paradise kind of scene. Like that was like, that's why I talked about it because it felt like the kind of scene where you would get bonus points for being a junkie, which is something that's rare these days. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a lot of drugs there. One thing that I've been thinking about a lot that I feel like um, I don't talk about on the show was like kind of my last really bad heroin run. And I remember... When was that? My last really bad heroin run was in 2011, and that's when I. Oh wait, so I knew you already. I no, it was it was before. Like I think as, I met you as, after. since I've known you. You've done pills and weed. Yeah, I, I did heroin one time, but I think my last bad heroin run was uh, the beginning of that year, and we met after I went to treatment. We met no. like in the summer or something. Do you remember we went to San Gennaro? And we ran into some like friends of yours that I think were using. I think it was Todd we ran into. Oh shit! It was. Yeah, and he was with some people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was awkward. Yeah, because he was using, and it was Todd, and I and I had just gotten clean or something, and it, running into Todd is just it was bizarre. Um, but um, what I was thinking about was. It's a, it's this weird thing, right, where I would, you know, Linda had left. I had just gotten, I remember when I had just gotten, and my dad hates it when I tell these stories. Um, because, like, I mean, and also in this episode, I'm basically admitting that my program is not in a good place. I'm a little bit worn down. Like, I haven't been to a meeting in a bit. I'm drinking NyQuil. It's not good. Eating too much. Barely praying. No meditation. Anyway, um, but I'm dialing it in tomorrow. I started exercising today. I actually prayed today, too. I'm, Dad, Are you going to the meeting in the morning? Yes, I'm going okay. to the meeting in the morning. And, Dad, if you're listening uh, on the beach in Florida with one of your many lady friends, don't worry. Everything is fine. But so I, I was I, – basically, I had – it was fucked up. I don't think I ever told this story on Dopey. It was in the time frame of the seizure story, which is like my favorite dopey story where uh, when I was using and living alone in Astoria after Linda had left and me and Todd were 
using there a lot and we would cop dope on the Lower East Side and then go back to Astoria. And I had so much money at that point, we would buy a ton of dope and then I would take a cab back to Queens because I didn't want to buy a bundle and then take a cab. We'd probably buy two bundles and take a cab. Money was not the thing, but, um, I had money, you know what I mean? I was making money and I had only been using for a year or something because I had cleaned up and I hadn't used for a long time. And, um, I got an apartment on the Lower East Side. Basically, it was the apartment that predated the dopey apartment. And I remember I had a bunch of heroin on me when I moved in. And um, I remember I set up my desk and I had a bunch of heroin and I didn't even have a bed or a couch. I think I was waiting for my bed to arrive and I was shooting dope at the desk thinking this is going to be great. You know, this nice new clean apartment and it smelled new and I had the the feeling of uh excitement. You know what I mean? And like and then and I, I know this is I, I don't know this, but I have a feeling this is something that Chris felt. It's when you have something new happening, something exciting is happening, and then on top of it you can get high. You know what I mean? Like Oh yeah. Like and I remember that and I I mean, that period also led to my most, you know, depraved, most miserable time. But I remember, like, I had just gotten the manager job at Katz's, which afforded me to leave when I wanted to. And I would leave work. I would get to work at, like, 6 in the morning and leave at, like, 2 in the afternoon. And I would run home and I would I would meet my dealer at my apartment at, like, 2 in the afternoon because I would I – would, I, he would – you know, I'd pay for him to come down. That was part of the deal. I didn't want to get busted at his uh, little SRO place that he lived in. So I would pay for him to come down, and I would. I was so excited. I was like a kid who got out of school because it was like the afternoon. It was the early afternoon. I remember like it's like Christmas. It was Christmas like morning. It was exactly like that, and I can really recall that feeling. Like I and I what I would equate it with was when I would come home from school. And I figured out that I could watch TV after school, that I had the freedom to watch television after school was like how I felt when I realized I could do heroin after work. And it's like, it's crazy. I don't know if that does anybody any good listening to the show, but basically it was that excitement. Um, And it quickly turned into total, I mean, like the biggest hell ever, you know, like where I couldn't afford anything and, uh, you know, I, I rarely got sick. My life, I got fired is what it was. I, I, I was, I was so bad at work that I would walk around the store nodding. Eating. They knew you were high. Yeah. Everybody knew I was high. I would eat off customers' plates. <laughs> I would eat off customers' plates. You but know? usually when you're on dope, you don't want food. Yeah. I was a weird, a weird sort of addict or something. I don't know. I was one of the few heroin addicts that was very capable of gaining weight on heroin. <laughs> Did the customers see you eat their food? Wait, were they sitting there and you just ate their food? Yeah, I would like take fries off their plates. It was, it was like it was it was really bad. It was, I remember People, one time they, in that period that um it was really busy and I was working really fast and I think I dropped a pitcher of water and then slipped in it 
And like my whole body like went parallel to the floor in my mind <laughs> and I just smashed against the floor and the ground at Katz's is very not giving. And um, it's terrazzo. Yeah. It was like, and, and like a bunch of customers saw me. Nobody who worked there saw me fall. Thank God. The other thing that I remember really, I remember it really well about that time is that Todd would come over to my apartment like every night and we would get just destroyed and I would like, I would nod out deeply and then I would start reciting the orders of the customers that day to Todd high and I'd be like, yeah, you said your corned beef sandwich and a cream soda and latkes and I would just go down I would like photographically remember the order of the day and then I would recite it nodding out and Todd would be like what are you fucking talking about um, it's a shame this was all before Yelp that people could have written a review of Cass's going our waiter was insane he did this and that well I think there was Yelp I think there no, definitely well, was Yelp we should go back and look at Yelp from 2009 junkie waiter reviews <laughs> Yes. What were you going to ask me? Two years ago. I'm so glad that I met Todd. I didn't know that. I just remember we we ran into this dude and he was with some other people. And as I remember it, you were like, we ditched them. I don't remember. I, I remember I remember having this incredibly bittersweet feeling around it because I was running into one of my very best friends. And I couldn't hang out with him. You know, it was yeah. like, I, I remember, I remember that. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, I, I didn't know you that well, but you were just like, I have to get away from this guy. Yeah, that's sad. That's a sad, sad story. Uh, I have a voicemail. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Dave, Dopey Nation. This is George from uh, the South of England, but originally from New York City. Uh, yeah, I discovered you guys, sadly, a little bit after Chris died. I'm sorry about that, because when I first started listening to him and to you guys, I didn't even know he was dead because I just was kind of in a bad place. And I found this podcast because I was searching online for information about my old rehab, which was Alina Lodge. I didn't dodge the lodge in 2001. In fact, I kind of got rolled into it. Um, that's another story. But yeah, yeah, I think what he said about it was really funny. Dodge the Lodge. Well, I'm glad I didn't dodge the Lodge, but that's another story. So, um, well, I was thinking, you know, I love listening to the podcast. It's helped me through some tough times. It makes me realize, it made me realize, and I, I don't forget it, that, you know, this isn't all about, oh, this is terrible. I got to do this. This is also about getting free of everything and laughing. You know, we're not a glum lot like it says and all that stuff. Anyway, here's a story for you real quick that... um uh, one of many, many, because I was, uh, I started off really young, um, probably around 10, 11, when I discovered my deceased mom's, uh, all of her cancer pain pills. She died when I was three, two or three. And uh, my dad never threw away this massive trove of, uh, of medicines, but she was sick for a long time. And, uh, in New York, where I went to school as a kid, um, they gave us drug education at an early age. And for me, it was like drug miseducation because I learned about all these different things that I probably, you know, it wasn't like I was learning to avoid them. It was like I was, oh, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. Oh, I have some of that. I've seen that in that box, you know, and that. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, I picked up a bottle of Dilaudid Meperidine um, from that box 
when I was about 11, and I found my way, man. That was it, you know? And uh, I'm now 60 freaking years old um, in, in physical years, in emotional years. I'm still in my 20s. But anyway, um, I chased that thing for years and years until 2001, 2002, when I washed up at the shores of that freaking Alina Lodge. Anyway, here's the story. Um, one night, one out of many nights, really, this is the kind of shit that would happen that I would just take, you know, in stride. I was driving in Philly in a rented car because I racked up my car with a head full of uh, booze, weed, Valium, speed, all once, man, because that's what I do. That's the way I would roll all that shit at one time. And uh, so, man, I was just, should not, well, probably shouldn't have been behind the wheel of a car. Anyway, that didn't ever, that never stopped me. So I'm driving through the ghetto, uh, through uh, North Philly, and um, just to get through to the other side of it. And uh, I don't know what happened, really. It's kind of foggy, but I flipped the car in the middle of, like, uh, some side street. And uh, God only knows why I was on a side street. I probably know why I was on a side street. But anyway, I flipped this car. It went halfway down the block um, with sparks. I remember some sparks coming off of it. I don't remember too much else. I think somebody had stepped in front of it, but I don't really remember. And I was probably going about 30, 40. I don't know. Anyway, I flipped it. It skidded. I was upside down in the car. It came to a stop on the curb. Um, I bit my tongue practically in half. I'm laying up there, and I remember the blood pooling in the roof, of, in like the ceiling of the car, because it was upside down, and I was kind of like slumped upside down in the seat. And then uh, I, I couldn't really talk. I was banged up, and then some guys came up to the car, and I looked out at them, and I thought, oh, man, thank God. I'm and then they fucking robbed me at knife point. That is the shit. They robbed me at knife point. My friend John W. in, in Washington, when I finally got sober years later, I told him that story, or I think I shared it in the meeting and he said to me dude in a card when I moved to England he said dude if you ever think that flipping a rented car at four in the morning in North Philly hanging upside down with your tongue bit in half getting robbed at knife point is the result of normal drinking you got to come back so um, I remember that story. I remember it a lot. The other thing I remember about that is that we take these things and strive. And kinda, a week later, I was back out again with stitches in my tongue, and it hurt, but I had good drugs for it, and I was back out again. Um, but what I, do stick, what, what I do remember is that there's a tool in emergency rooms that they use to hold people's tongues out of their head while they suture them up. And I would imagine that most people don't know that. But I imagine a lot of us do. And uh, there's no reason I should know that shit. There's really no reason. Anyway, this is what I'm trying to say, man. Um, I love your podcast. Uh, I love people you have on it. Uh, I love listening to you. You know, we deal with serious shit, but there's a funny fucked up side to it, too. And we're like those people on the life raft. When we get free of this and we're free and clean, we can look back at biting our tongue in half, getting robbed at knife point, and laugh. And laugh because, man, that shit is probably not going to happen to me today. It would be a pretty fucked up thing if it did. Anyway, thanks, Dave. Keep up the good work. I wear your sweatshirt, um, the dopey sweatshirt, the hoodie in meetings and on my online Zoom meetings. And I tell people about you all the time. Um, it probably cost a little bit too much to get it shipped to England, but that's okay. Um, I love it. It's great. I love you. I love, I love the Dopey Nation. 
Toodles to Chris. Peace out, bro. Take it easy. George, UK. Bye-bye. The audio. Thank you, George. Love the message. The audio is a little fucked up, but the message was so good, right, Ray? Yeah, what's going on in the background there? It sounds like a like a garbage can is being like thrown around. It's it's like it felt to me like he was on speaker and then he like put the phone to his ear and then he's like, No, 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 I'm gonna hold it on speaker and then he like rubbed it against sandpaper and then he put it to his ear. He just he he, he sounded like he kept switching it up, but the message yeah. is great. So there's a machine they use to hold your tongue out. Okay. That was giving me like, I don't know, what's the word, like goosebumps to think of like your tongue being bit off. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, And to be robbed while you're upside down. <laughs> it's classic. I mean, and, and it, it, that's that's the deal, you know. I, I, I When I, um, you know, another different, in one of my big seizure stories, you know, like when I, uh, I fell out of my loft bed and I had a crazy seizure and I almost bit my tongue in half. You know, um, they didn't use a machine like that on me, but, uh, we're so fragile, you know what I mean? People are so fragile and, and everything can go wrong. And then we just like did the worst shit we could do. You know what I mean? You know what? I've, I've been wondering, cause I watched a bunch of Kensington videos and we heard Tina and we just, we talked a lot about Kensington or this is just any area like that. People that are living on the street who don't have a job, but they have a, like a $300 a day habit. How does that work? It's a hustle. It's a brand new hustle, right? You know all about I mean, that. I mean, I know you can rob, you could like, yeah, you can be a sex worker, but that's still a lot of money. To, I mean, that's hard to make legitimately. Well, I never had a $300 a day habit without a lot of money coming in. You know, I, when I was quote-unquote hustling, and my hustle was taking my girlfriend's ATM card. You know, that was my big <laughs> hustle. Um, I would do like $5 a day and, and, and drink 150 milligrams of methadone. Like, I didn't have... I never had a good hustle, but I, I wasn't that guy. You know that there's a million people... I mean, Dopey Nation, guys. Like, if have you guys ever been in the street with a crazy habit and had some hustle to keep some crazy yeah. habit up? Can you panhandle that amount of money? Can you, like... Like lift that from like Walmart and then sell it back. You know, you you, you steal something, and you take it back and get the money back. It's funny. Um, when I waited tables, like uh, I I could make money. You know, I made good money when I waited tables. Uh, I always imagined like that I wasn't waiting tables; that I was begging. Like it felt like I was begging when I did that job, and I always yeah. thought that if I went out in the street. And begged, I could have made a lot of money begging. Oh, you would be good. You'd be good on the street. I know, but but then you'd you, have a clever sign. You'd have like a rap. <laughs> I would be. It would be absurd though. Like I, I, you, I wouldn't really be good. But I always thought that I could make a lot of money like that. But I was all I. I you know, I, I had shame. Like, I had too much shame to ever beg in the street. In California, I never. I never begged in the street. I had. I was. I. But I thought I could make a lot of money doing it if I wanted to, you know. Um, I don't know. Dopey Nation, do you guys have any good hustles that you want to tell us about? Send in an email. Send in a good dopey story. Uh, Ray, anything you'd like to add? I, I'd like to add, I think in the future, if you want me on the show, we should do the show at 5 a.m. You wake up at 5 a.m.? 
Yeah. No, you don't. And and you do too. No, you don't. You don't wake up at five a.m. If you want, like we could Friday mornings at five a.m. Susan's not awake yet. You have an hour and a half, two hours. All right. Next week at five a.m. Any messages for New Year's that you'd like to share with the Dopey Nation before we go? Um, I didn't make any New Year's resolutions. I did. I have a lot of New Year's resolutions. Oh yeah. I mean, but I'm you, not. I'm what's not, the big ones? Less sweets, more exercise, more meetings. Don't don't glorify drugs so much on dopey. That kind of stuff. Somebody found my um, messages, my my resolutions on Flowchan last year, and the number one was find a source of pure MDMA in New York City. <laughs> That's not. That's a resolution, I guess. <laughs> Number two was have more threesomes. That's so funny. That's so. Where is it? Where? Where is this? This is a great list. I can. I can look it up very quickly if you like. Do you think I glorified too many drugs on this episode? No. Are we on the air? Yes. And I saw there was some Dopey Nation thread about good-looking guys in the Dopey Nation, and I'm not listed as one of the good-looking guys in the Dopey Nation. It's like. You fucking kidding me? Hold on, that was fucked up. What the fuck is that? That was fucked up, yeah. Um, Don't they know what I look like? You should be on that list. I should be like fucking number one, two, and three on that fucking list. You kidding me? Here's my resolutions from last year. Number one, find source of pure MDMA in New York City. Two, have more threesomes. Three, spend two months in Mexico. Four, money, 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 money. And five is I am worthy and deserving of love. Number one, <laughs> eat more pubes. Number two, more 69s, more Viagra. Number three, if I can't find Viagra, use Cialis. Number four, <laughs> more dopey. Number five, less recovery. Number six, leave Ireland out of my life. <laughs> I think I'm never going back to Ireland. It's kind of sad, but. You'll be back. Don't worry. Don't worry. Why don't you take us out, Ray? Oh, hold on. Stay, wait, 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 hold on. Is there anything else for New Year's that you'd like to say? You'd like to wish the Dopey Nation a happy New Year's or anything like that? Anything good like that? To everybody in the Dopey Nation, I'd like to wish a warm and happy, happy New Year's. Would you call it 2020 fun? 2020 fun. That's great. Um... <laughs> Do you, can you, why don't you sing a little Auld Lang Syne? For old acquaintance be forgot. Da, 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 da. I don't know the words. Isn't that an Irish song, though? Isn't it a what? Isn't it Irish? I once heard Prince do uh, Purple Rain, and then he busts into Auld Lang Syne in the end of Purple Rain. Fucking oh, yeah? amazing. Amazing. Have you ever heard Prince do uh, A Case of You? No. That's amazing. All right, why don't you take us out, Ray? Wait, hold on. Okay, stay wait, strong. Wait, hold on. Before you take us out, did you have a good time? Yes, it was fun. It was a nice way to end the New Year's Day. I had a, I had the Black Eyed Peas, Hopping John, and now I'm saying stay strong, Dopey Nation, fucking toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, fucking toodles for Chris. Happy fucking New Year's. And I'm going to leave them with a version of Good So Bad that I recorded with uh, Johnny Takeif and Br'er Brian. And in my mind, Br'er Brian ruined the song with his guitar part here, but people have really liked it, so I'm going to leave it with that. Okay, let's hear it. All right. One, two, three.
Very, very. 